The first thing I want to talk about today is this, and I, it, it's kind of a weird one, but I'm telling you, I'm just so surprised by this that I really feel it needs a mention. You guys know that I detest with a deep burning hatred of a thousand suns the way CW mistreated the Superman character. You guys, because, you know, Superman is a character that's very near and dear to my heart. I absolutely despise the way the way they handled the Superman character, particularly in the Supergirl show, was an embarrassment. It was like just unforgivable. It was awful. So when they announced that they were doing a Superman and Lois show with this jobber Superman, this wannabe Superman that they had created, I had no interest whatsoever. Absolutely zero interest in this wannabe jobber Superman that they have written. So they launched the show, and I have some friends of mine get a hold of me and say, John, you, you might want to watch the premiere. You might want to watch the premiere. I think you might be pleasantly surprised. I'm like, nah, they ruined anything. They killed their chances. They burned their bridges when it comes to how they handle Superman. A pox on them. A pox on them in their houses. But finally, a couple friends of mine, you know, convinced me to check it out. Check out this, this pilot of this Superman and Lois show. And I watched it. And you know what? It wasn't bad. I mean, it, it had a, a few mm, kind of cringy things in it. But for the most part, it really felt like, and you guys remember me saying this, it felt like they... We're making it almost like an HBO show instead of as a CW show. You, you know what I mean? It just had the feel. A lot of it had the feel of an HBO show, which is high praise because I think they're the best in the business of creating series, HBO. And it felt more like an HBO show than whatever. Watch the second episode. And like, you know what? Also, not bad. Pretty good. And, you know, I said on yesterday's John Campy show, I'm fully expecting them. I hadn't seen the third episode yet yesterday. And I said on the John Campy show yesterday, I said, I'm still fully expecting them to completely shit the bed. Like, they're going to drop the ball on this. They're going to mess this up. But, you know, yeah, the first two episodes are actually pretty good. Well, last night, before going to bed, I sat down and watched the third episode of uh, Superman and Lois. And... I'm just, I'm making myself very vulnerable to you guys here. I am a fan of Superman and Lois. I am a fan of Superman and Lois. This is a really good show. This is a really good show. Now, if you were to travel back in time, if you were to travel back in time, say just one month ago, and say, John... From one month ago, future John, one month from now, is going to be on his show saying that he is a fan of this CW Superman in his Superman and Lois show. Would have smacked you in the mouth. Would have smacked you in the mouth and said, get ye behind me, Satan. You house of lies, get behind me. No way that's true. No way that's true. But I am sitting before you here today, ladies and gentlemen. I always call it like I see it. I got to tell you, this Superman show is pretty damn good. This, this Superman show is pretty damn good. They have found a way to both highlight the badassness of Superman, yet also highlight the one thing that has always been the thing that Superman struggles with, which is not, which is not kryptonite, but it's his humanity. 
understanding his place in the world. You know, being the God man, how do you relate within this world? And this Superman and Lois show kind of pivoting it around the, the struggles he has as a parent trying to understand what is it to be a dad? I'm Superman. How does Superman be a dad? And if you had shown me that on a piece of paper, I would have said that sounds a little iffy, but the way they play it out has been really fantastic. And I've been getting very hooked into it. And on top of that, instead of when he must've been in the hands of other writers at CW where every possible chance they had to humiliate Superman, they would. Whenever they had a chance before to belittle Superman, they would. Whenever they had a chance to, you know, take a position of a, a diminutive nature for Superman, they would. Instead, in this one, it's like, no, this is Superman. And like this episode three, I'm not going to give any spoilers away for those of you who don't like, uh, who don't haven't seen the third episode yet. But, you know, there's this episode where he gets into a fight with a guy and, and the guy gets a little bit of an upper hand. Good for you. Guy gets a little bit of an upper hand. So, yay. Hey, congrats. You got a bit of an upper hand on Superman. But then the camera turns back to Superman, who's like, he's done fucking around. He's done messing around now. And Superman's, all right, you got some shots. Congratulations. And he floats into the air and the guy turns around thinking he had beaten Superman. Turns around. There's Superman just kind of standing there looking at him. He's like, bitch, I'm Superman. And then he proceeds to beat the living hell out of the guy. And I'm like, somehow this show has managed to recapture the supremacy of the Superman while also making him really struggle and confronting that that main core issue of him is struggling with understanding his identity and place in the world, particularly in Smallville now as a father and as a parent. And I got to say, while the show still definitely does have um, a, a little bit of CW cringe to it, it still, still does. I'm not going to say it doesn't. But overall, bravo. They have, I am a fan of this Superman and Lois show. And I still kind of partially expect that they're going to crap the bed on this and they're going to drop the ball at some point. But I'm telling you what, we are three episodes in and I got to say, I'm, I'm really liking it. Imagine <laughs> me saying that a month ago, but Hey, I call it like I see it. This show has impressed me and I actually find myself really looking forward to next week. If, and I got to say guys, if you have not checked out this Superman and Lois show, and I cannot blame you at all. If you haven't checked it out yet, I don't blame you at all. But if you have not, take it from somebody who has really hated what CW has done with Superman before. And I really think you should give it a chance. Now, it's all subjective. Just because I like it doesn't mean you're going to like it. It's all subjective. But I, I really do recommend that you give it a shot because I think you just may as, be as pleasantly surprised uh, as I have been about it. So anyway, guys, what do you think? Have you guys watched Superman and Lois yet? If so, jump on down to the comment section below. And let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys. Just a, a couple more things before we get to your live questions today. You know, something that should never be taken seriously. But they're just fun every year. Never take them too seriously. There's not a lot of meaning behind them. They're just fun. But something I look forward to every year is the Razzies. And the new, the 2021 Razzie nominations have come out. And right there at the top, no surprise, we've got Doolittle. 
and Robert Downey Jr. Now, for those of you who may not know, the the Razzies are basically the antithesis of the Oscars. The Razzies celebrate the worst of the year, the absolute worst of the year. And again, they are not to be taken seriously. They are simply done in fun. But it always is kind of fun to go and, and take a look to see what they nominate this year. And it's no big surprise that Doolittle is near the top of their list because Doolittle was horrible. And it's the first time ever that now we've seen Robert Downey Jr. in bad movies before, but I have never felt like Robert Downey Jr. was bad in a movie. He's been in bad movies. I've never thought he was bad in the movie until Doolittle. He was terrible in Doolittle. Every artist is going to have a bad day at the office, unless your name is Daniel Day-Lewis. But every other actor in the world is going to have a bad day at the office. I think Doolittle was Robert Downey Jr.'s. So just go, let's go look at some of these things. The worst picture nominees are 365 Days, Absolute Proof, Doolittle, Fantasy Island, and Music. And of course, nominated for worst actor is Robert Downey Jr. in Doolittle. Uh, Mike Lindell, in the, who is the My Pillow guy, of course, in Absolute Proof. Uh, Michelle Marone in 365. Adam Sandler in Hubie Halloween. And David Spade in The Wrong Missy. And you guys can go and look up the rest of the nominees and things like that. But uh, it was kind of neat to see that Doolittle is up there. And, and again, the true horribleness of Doolittle is it's not just... Oh, it's because it's a it was a big tentpole film and Robert Downey Jr. is in it. That's why the pick. No, no, no. It Doolittle was really bad. And I I know probably a lot of you guys didn't see it, but you really should. It was really bad. Also, no, getting a number of nominations was Fantasy Island, which is too bad because I remember when the trailers came out for Fantasy Island. I was very excited about that movie. I Because when you really think about it, when you think of the old Fantasy Island with Ricardo Montalban and uh, Andre Vilichev, was that the name of the guy who played Tattoo? Anyway, when you really think about it, it was kind of a horror show. And they decided to make a horror movie out of it. You had the great Michael Pena starring as uh, the Ricardo Montalban character, uh, Mr. Rourke. And I thought it looked fantastic. I thought it looked great. Yeah, unfortunately, it didn't turn out so well. But yes... We've got Robert Downey Jr. and his movie Doolittle leading the way at the 2021 Razzie Awards. Guys, what do you think about that? What would you throw on that list? Again, remember, it's not an awards that should be taken seriously at all. It's all done and fun. But what do you guys think about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay. One last topic I want to talk about here before uh, we move on and take your live questions. Uh, and that is this. Now, it is kind of a rite of passage, if you will, that, you know, everybody, especially once they get their own place for the first time, the first thing they do is they call their mom or dad or they call their buddy or their cousin or whatever and say, hey, can I have your Netflix password? It's a rite of passage. It's like getting your driver's license. It's like growing your first pubes. It's like touching your first nipple. It's whatever it is. It's like a rite of passage in life. That time when you're, you know, flexing your independence and you reach out to somebody and say, can I have your network, your uh, Netflix password? It's, it's a rite of passage. Everybody's done it. We've all done it. It's a, it's a thing to do. It's what we all do. Well, Netflix for a long time has turned a blind eye for the most part to people 
you know, uh, running out and sharing passwords and a lot of people having access to Netflix that don't actually pay for Netflix. And for the longest time, Netflix has basically turned a blind eye to it. One of the reasons why is that they never really had solid technology that was going to help them do anything about it. Well, apparently that's about to change. Reports are now coming out that Netflix has indeed going to start cracking down on password sharing uh, when it comes to users' accounts. Now, this comes to us from the folks over at The Verge, and they write the following. A new feature, first spotted by GameWire, GammaWire, I should say, prevents people who are not authorized to use the account from accessing it. A Netflix spokesperson told The Verge, this test is designed to help ensure that people using a Netflix account are authorized to do so. If Netflix detects that someone is trying to use the account without being an account owner, they'll be asked to verify later or verify being an account owner through an email code or text code. If someone is unable to verify account ownership within a certain time frame, probably like two or three minutes, they won't be able to stream any Netflix content. Instead, they'll be asked to make their own account. This comes to us from the folks at The Verge. Now, one of the things that should be pointed out here is that within the Netflix terms of service, you can share passwords within members of your own household, right? So, you know, if you live with your mom and dad and you've got a Netflix account, but you live in a house with your mom and dad and you want your mom to be able to have Netflix in her room too, you are allowed to share your password with her. You're also allowed to share your password with your sister or whatever. Basically, you're allowed to share within your household. So that's, that's all fine. What they are cracking down on is, hey, buddy, can I have your Netflix password, blah, blah. And apparently now, if their system, they've just started implementing and testing this new system, that if they get get a ping on your account is being used, but from a uh, an IP address that is like way outside of where your home is or where you usually are, they kind of like the way your bank does it. They will send you a text message that says, can you verify that this is you? Put in on the screen, you know, verification code 36A71B or something like that, right? And then on the Netflix screen, you got to enter in that code. And if you don't, they lock out that device. Now, I've seen some people online getting upset at this. Honestly, what do we have to be upset about? So net, uh, here's the thing. Netflix is basically saying, hey, guys, um... Do you mind if we don't let you steal our stuff anymore? Is that okay? No, Netflix, you let us steal your stuff. You just shut up. But it would really be helpful if, you know, maybe we could, you know, not let you steal our stuff anymore. You know, I mean, that's the basic thing. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm actually shocked that Netflix hasn't tried to implement something like this sooner. I mean, it just, it just makes sense. Let's be honest here. This is not unreasonable of Netflix to do. They put a lot of money and they lose billions every year making sure they put together as good of a product as they can for their subscribers. It is not unreasonable for them to say, hey, how about we do something to make sure only people, you know, who actually subscribe to our service get our service. Crazy thought. And they're still going to let people still share it within the same household. I So honestly, I don't know what the argument could possibly be against this. I mean, again, it sucks for all these people coming of age and like, I'm out on my own now. I've got my first apartment. Time to get my buddy's Netflix password. I mean, it is a rite of passage. I get it. And now you theoretically won't be able to do that anymore. Now, there could be loopholes around this. Like, 
If you can get your buddy on the phone like within three minutes and say, quick, give me the access code they give you. But then again, the person you could be violating your terms of service if you give your password to other people and you get caught. I mean, so I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But just on its surface, it doesn't seem like there's any real um, there's any real legitimate argument against Netflix implementing something to protect their property. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's a bigger issue here than I'm overlooking. I mean, this happens. We're just kind of hearing about this this morning. Question is, guys, what do you think about this move by Netflix to kind of secure their Netflix accounts? You think it's a good idea? Think it's a bad idea? Do you think it's going to be easy to circumvent and get around? Maybe you're one of these people, one of these rare people who never actually did borrow a relative's or or a friend's network password. What do you guys think about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all that down, let's spend the rest of today getting to your live comments and questions. And how do you send in a live comment or question to be on the John Campia show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, just go down into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. You can use that and just click on it, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's within reason. And of course, you'll be supporting this show at the same time. And all of us here, thank you for that. And by the way, guys, let me address something. Let me address something here just really, really quickly. A little bit of housekeeping here on a Friday, if you don't mind. One of the reasons that we say, as long as, you know, the the, the question you're sending in is reasonable, as long as it's appropriate, one of the things that we've noticed, we've always had this happen, but especially like in the last month, this has happened a lot. And I, I just want to point something out. Sending in tip questions is not meant to be a cheap way for you to get free publicity for your new album you just put on Spotify or your new short film that you just put out somewhere or your new um, uh, comic that you so because what I like I what I don't mind is people writing and saying hey John you know I I just did my own film I'm super excited about it I can't wait to do my next one that's great I love hearing that but the problem is we literally had somebody like a week ago write in and say hey John I uh, love the show I just want to let your viewers know that I just did this album and I'm really proud of it it's called such I don't remember what the name of it the album is called such and such and such and I would love it if your viewers would go over to Spotify I think it was Spotify if your viewers would go over to Spotify and check it out uh, the name is blah 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 thanks and have a great day and it's like you know sending in these questions is not meant to be a free platform or an almost free platform for you to market your things to our viewers. Like if you want to share that, Hey, I just did an album. It feels awesome to be creative. That's great. But don't make it a blatant, just product plug using our audience to try to get uh, promotion for your product. That's not why our people, our people watch the show. So that's, I just want to point that out because we've had like six or seven of those in the last month. So I just wanted to point that out. Hope that, I hope that makes, re- I hope that sounds reasonable and I hope that makes sense at any rate. Uh, and by the way, God bless you to all of you who did do those projects. Good on you. It's not easy to pick up a creative project and see through to completion. So even though we're not going to, you know, air your uh your free plugs and stuff like that to it i do want to say super proud of you for doing it that is awesome keep going and keep creating great stuff all right let's move on here then let's get to our first 
main topic here today. And this one comes to us, or main topic, our first uh, live question comes to us from Cody Hunt Films, who writes, Speaking of Aaron's uh, uh, WandaVision mishap, I'll tell you about that in case you missed it yesterday. I sat down one night to start uh, Fosse slash Verdon. I thought it was interesting how the show just threw you right into the story. Not until the episode was over did I realize I watched the series finale. Uh, Have you done anything like that? The only thing that happened with me that was similar to that, and by the way, uh, the WandaVision thing for those of you guys who missed it, so Aaron Cummings was on the show yesterday and she was watching episode eight, I think. Yeah, because what there were nine episodes of WandaVision, right? Yeah, nine. Okay, so she was watching episode eight, but it was all in Spanish and she just thought that was the theme. Like they did 50s, 60s comedies, 70s comedies. She thought they were doing like, like Spanish telenovelas and she didn't realize they had actually had the language set to Spanish for whatever reason. So they went through all of episode 8 and started watching episode 9 going, "Really? They're still doing it in Spanish?" Anyway, that was funny. The one that time that happened to me, let me see if I can bring this up. There was a I think it was on Fox. There was a show on Fox. I'm going to look it up here so I can get the name of it. That had slang on it. Stephen Lang. You remember Stephen from um uh, he's the villain, of course, in Avatar, and he was in that Don't Say a Word, or was it Don't Say a Word or Don't Don't Make a Sound, or whatever, it was, where he was the blind guy. It's a horror movie. He's awesome in it. You should definitely go and check that out. Ah, I, I don't even have to look it up. Uh, Red Raven 96 put it in there. There was a show uh, that he was in called, and thank you, Red Raven, in the live chat, called um, Terra Nova that was on Fox. And let me see if I can look up Terra Nova here. But so basically Terra Nova on Fox and maybe I already passed it. No, I didn't pass it yet. The basic idea was this was they developed a time travel device and they were able to actually send people back to the dinosaur age. There we go. They were actually able to send people back to the dinosaur age to create a colony uh, to live there in the dinosaur age. And I'll tell you what, it was actually pretty good. It was actually pretty good. Uh, Jason O'Mara, uh, Christine Adams, uh, Allison Miller was also, I like Allison Miller, was also Naomi Scott, remember? Huh? Naomi Scott? Huh? Your little Power Ranger? Your, your little Princess Jasmine? She was in that. Anyway, it was a pretty good show. I liked it. Now, I was late to the party on it. Like, I was watching it. I can't remember where I was watching it. But I was watching it, and then the season I watched ended. I'm like, great, when's the next season? And they're like, oh, no, there are no more seasons. I'm like, what? There are no more seasons? Are you sure? And they're like, yep, absolutely sure that there are indeed no more seasons. And I was like, well, wait, really? And I couldn't believe it. I just I just couldn't believe it. So, yes, that sort of happened to me in a way. That's kind of my uh, thing of that. All right, next up, Scott Brown writes, Uh, I want to apologize for getting political with a question last week. I was just annoyed because here in Texas, they have potential, they have potential made it more dangerous for me and my family to go to the theater with lifting the mask mandate and 100% capacity. Oh no, I get it. I, and listen, it's cool for us to have discussions about the pandemic, especially the way it affects us and our movie going. It's absolutely legitimate. It's just that you know, and I don't believe the pandemic is a political issue unless you make it a political issue. And anyway, I just like to leave that stuff out. But I understand your frustration, Scott. I understand your frustration because it's people not taking the pandemic seriously when it started. And it's not just one group of people. 
I know lots of people on the left and lots of people on the right who were just morons when it came to conducting themselves properly when it came to the pandemic. So it's 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 everybody. Every, we're all we all share the stupid. But yeah, it's frustrating when you realize it's because of those people that I don't get to go to the movies. It's because of those people that you know I don't get to go out and do all the things that we we're used to doing. So I understand your frustration. I really do. All right. Next up, Orange Hand writes. Uh, though you're a team Kong, will you feel satisfied if the film narratively and logistically justifies a Godzilla victory? If the film sets up a Godzilla victory, but Kong wins on a fluke or something, uh, would you call foul if Rob's there? Same cue, but vice versa. Rob's not here today. Um, no, I listen, I am definitely team Kong in the Godzilla versus Kong debate and issue. I am team Kong. I am looking for Kong the, uh, fourth round knockout. You know, late in the game, knocks him out, and then, you know, Mecha Godzilla shows up and the two of them got to fight together. Mothra, why did you say that name? And they both jump up together and fight together and go fight off Mecha Godzilla. But that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm cheering for. But if Godzilla wipes out King Kong, it's not going to affect my enjoyment of the movie one iota. It's not going to affect my enjoyment. These are the two kings of the kaiju. This is Godzilla and this is Kong. You know, Never job Superman unless Superman is fighting Wonder Woman or Batman. Never job Batman unless he's fighting Superman or Wonder Woman. You know, they're all part of the Trinity. Godzilla and Kong are the top of the mountain when it comes to the kaiju. They're they're the top of the mountain. So, yes, I'll be there cheering for Kong. But if Godzilla wins, that's perfectly fine. Nothing is not going to affect my enjoyment of the movie at all. As long as they make it good and make it a great fight. It'll be all awesome. It'll be all awesome. All right, next up. Nick Sino writes, uh, Hey, John, hello from Hamilton, my hometown, Hamilton, Ontario, Cam- uh, Canada, The Hammer, also known as Steel City. Uh, as a movie and TV fan, what do you think about your hometown being such a big filming city? The Boys, Umbrella Academy, Hannibal, Handmaid's Tale, X-Men, Kick-Ass, Incredible Hulk, Shape of Water, and the list goes on. Yeah, not a lot of people realize my hometown has become home of a lot of filming. Actually, the big climactic battle in uh, the Hulk movie when the Hulk was fighting Abomination, that was literally, I would go out on my balcony. This is when I lived, when I was first getting going on the, well, not first getting going on the movie blog, but I've been going on the movie blog for a little while. I was living in a, like a four or 500 square foot bachelor apartment, you know, zero bedrooms, all that kind of stuff. But I had this little balcony and I could look down on the street and see where they were setting up to shoot that Hulk versus abomination fight they do a lot of stuff and then when i first started watching teen titan it's not called teen titan sorry titans when that show titans started i put on the first episode and you see this city street with this bus going by and i'm like that looks exactly like hamilton and that looks exactly like a hamilton bus and immediately i went to my computer looked up titan shooting locations and sure enough they were shooting in my hometown of hamilton ontario they do shoot a lot of stuff there it, it's awesome i love that they shoot so much stuff in hamilton it, it pisses me off that they always say it's another city they always say hamilton's a different they never say hamilton they always say it's a different city but it's good to know that they always go there to shoot in hamilton that's pretty cool all right next up uh zomg ruler writes um hey john uh, do you ever use Metacritic? No, very rarely. Uh, another gripe I have with Rotten Tomatoes is I would like to have a viable alternative, but Metacritic is heavily criticized. I don't understand why I like their red, yellow, green system more than fresh, rotten, but it's the same to me. Oh, I really don't care about fresh or rotten. I, I don't care about that. The reason I really prefer, and I've mentioned this before, 
I think the Rotten Tomato system is the best system out there because I just want to know out of all the critics out there the who are vastly different from each other, who have vastly different tastes from each other, who all come from different walks of life, out of the hundreds of critics that they measure, how many of them liked a movie and how many of them didn't? That's all I care about. I don't care if one guy thinks it was the greatest movie of all time and the other guy just thought, yeah, it's, it's pretty solid. It's pretty enjoyable. I don't care. All I want to know is out of the vast, uh, you know, collage of film critics from all different walks of life, all different personality types, all different, per- all different tastes, I want to know what percentage of them liked it. That's all I want to know. How many of them liked it versus how many of them didn't like it? And that becomes a really nice barometer. It doesn't tell me exactly if I for sure will like a thing or not, but it gives me a basic idea of what to expect. And that's why I think it's the best system. You know, I I just think it's the best system because it's a system that protects against this whole 10-0 culture we live in. You know, we live in a culture today where somebody likes it. 10, 10, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. It's perfect. It's 10 out of 10. Like I remember when I used to give numerical scores in my movie reviews and to me, a seven is a solid score that that's a good movie. That's a movie I enjoyed seven out of 10, but I would give something like a seven out of 10 and then immediately I'd get people writing, oh, Campia hated it. Why did you hate it, Campia? Why didn't you give it a 10? Because 10 should be reserved for like maybe 20 movies ever. I, I, that's just how I, I gauge it. You hated it because you didn't get any. And so Metacritic kind of skews and, and is susceptible to that 10-0 mentality. Whereas the Rotten Tomatoes one is simply, did you like it? doesn't matter if you liked it by that much or if you liked it by it's the greatest movie of all time. That's why I kind of prefer that system. I, I just think it's the best system out there. But that's just me. Other people have different opinions. But that's why I really like it. Uh, anyway, next up. Uh, Tyler Yates writes, happy Friday, John. Happy Friday to you, Tyler. I just wanted to say thanks ever since theater shut down and everything. Your show is one of the things to remain normal. And it's something I look forward to love all the WandaVision spoiler talk. Can't wait for Falcon and the winter soldier. Much love. Oh, dude, I cannot wait for Falcon and winter soldier too. Now I was excited about it before, but after seeing how good WandaVision was now, I'm really stoked for it. So I I can't wait to get started on that. And I loved doing the pregame show. Now, we're not going to do a pregame show for episode one of Falcon and Winter Soldier because we don't have anything to really speculate on yet, but we'll start up the pregame shows for Falcon and Winter Soldier once we get to episode two. So we will again have like the pregame shows and the postgame spoilers the next day. So I am looking forward to it, too. And hey, listen, Tyler. It's not only been my privilege to be here, but thank you guys that during all this pandemic nonsense, you guys have been here for us as well. So thank you very much for that, my friend. All right. Next up. Um, where are we? Uh, Jay Pinnell writes, hey, John, first time tipper, longtime fan since AMC. Thank you so much, Jay, for being here. I appreciate the support, man. I'm a Maritimer. I was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Now, I am a Hamilton boy. That is my hometown. Hamilton is my hometown. But I was proudly born on the campus of St. Mary's University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So I'm a bit of a Maritimer myself. Anyway, who followed a girl to the hammer, and now we live in Toronto. This good Canadian kid watched Battlestar Galactica when it aired in the 1970s. I still frackin' love the theme. One of the greatest theme musics of all time. The original Battlestar Galactica with Lauren Green, Richard Hatch, Dirk Benedict. Are you kidding me? 
It was awesome. Anyway, Jay continues. I thought the new miniseries was more pretentious than exciting at the time, but after 15 years of acclaim, I spent the past month ending most nights with Battlestar Galactica. Wine and less sleep than the night before. Oh my gods, so say we all. So you know how much I'm looking forward to entering the final five tonight. Before I do... Uh, I thought you'd enjoy talking about your first viewing of this show and thank you for your relentless, genuine enthusiasm every day. All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot for that, Jay. And listen, yeah, Battlestar Galactica, Ronald D. Moore's Battlestar Galactica. Now, as much as tons of respect to the original Battlestar Galactica with Lauren Green, Richard Hatch, Dirk Benedict, that show was actually really ahead of its time. It really was ahead of its time, especially with its mythology and everything. It was really good. Uh, Battlestar Galactica 1980, not so good, but we won't talk about that right now. So along comes the Ronald D. Moore Battlestar Galactica series. And so I was very interested in it because I, you know, I watched when I, I watched the reruns of the original Battlestar Galactica when I was a kid. So I watched this thing and it became my number one and still is today. Battlestar Galactica, the Ronald D. Moore version is my all time number one greatest show of all time. I mean, by a significant amount. Uh, Sons of Anarchy and Spartacus are also in my top three, but they're significantly below Battlestar Galactica. And I liked the pilot, like the opening miniseries pilot. I liked it, but I, you know, I, I wasn't passionately in love with it. It's as the show progressed that I really, when you started realizing man, they are really leaning heavy into the mythology and they're really going a, a lot into these, these tropes. I, it just got better and better and better and better. And listen, there's some discussion about how the show ended. I actually love how it ended. Like on paper, I love the way the show ends and I won't say how it ends, you know, cause you're getting into the last, last bit now. I won't tell you how it ends. Um, but there is a lot of discussion about, oh, it just didn't stick the landing. On paper, though, like if I had read this is how the show's going to end, it's kind of like this. I would go, oh, that sounds awesome. It didn't execute great. Like the very ending of the show wasn't the best execution. Even I think that. But in principle, it was a really good concept for an ending for that show. And it actually made a lot of sense. But it wasn't executed beautifully, but it, it, whatever, it was still to me the greatest show of all time. And I'm, I'm glad you're into it, man. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And uh, indeed, Jay, indeed, so say we all. All right. I'm glad you're watching it, man. And thank you for joining us. It's great to have you here, man. Next up, uh, Dan S. writes, uh, I live in New England. Uh, I just visited there not long ago so I could go see uh, Gillette Stadium. Home to my beloved uh, New England Patriots. Anyway, I live in New England. The only theaters within 100 miles of me are Showcase, which I do, which don't assign seats. That's BS. There is no excuse today for a movie theater not assigning seats, okay? These aren't the 1920s. There, you could, With a simple app, they can figure out a way to make it work. That is such nonsense that they don't do that, man. All right. Uh, showcase, which don't assign seats. I'm not confident they'll enforce to social distancing. So either I drive 90 plus minutes or no theaters for me. I wish Showcase could leave the dark ages. Oh, I agree. And listen, for the last twice this year, I wanted to go see a movie. Once I had to drive three and a half hours to go to see um, The New Mutants. I had to drive to Vegas to go see it. 
And then once I had to drive an hour to go to Anaheim to go see Tenant. Now, everything's been closed since and don't really have the options. But no, listen, to me, one of the reasons I liked that movie-going experience was because the theaters made me feel secure and safe. They were strictly enforcing safety protocols, and it made me feel comfortable as a movie-goer being in their facility. If your theater does not do that for you, do not go. If your theater doesn't look like they're taking your safety seriously, then you don't give them your business. I think it's just that simple. And um, other than that, yeah, make the 90-minute drive. I mean, I know I'm ready to drive to Vegas again to go see Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, Warner Brothers has got my next couple of sets of box office money all lined up, ready to go. I want, I'm want. i going to drive to Vegas if I have to to go see Godzilla vs. Kong to give Warner Brothers my money. I'm going to drive to Vegas again if I have to to go see Mortal Kombat, give Warner Brothers more of my money. I mean, hopefully the theaters in L.A. are supposed to be opening up soon. Hopefully they do, so I don't have to make that long of a drive. But I'll do it. So if it's worth it, man, make the 90-minute drive. You cannot put a price tag on you feeling safe. And if that theater ain't going to do what it takes to make you feel safe, then you give your business somewhere else and make the drive. That, that would be my recommendation. All right. At any rate, uh, next up, uh, uh, Ball MB Garden Seed 87 writes, Hey, John, have you ever seen the Canadian sci-fi series Dark Matter? I don't think I have. I'm going to say I don't think I have, but let me look it up uh, just to make sure I'm not just thinking of a different name. Um... Dark Matter, 2015 TV series. I'm going to assume that that's it. Uh, dystopian in the... Oh, so I've definitely not seen this. In the dystopian 27th century, six people wake up on a deserted spaceship. Oh, I have heard of this. No, but I never did watch it. I never did watch it. It's very difficult to watch Canadian programming in the U.S. Like until Shit's Creek blows up and they put it on Netflix or uh, same with like Kim's Convenience. It's very, very difficult. Man, you know how hard it is for me to try to find Toronto Maple Leaf hockey games? It's near impossible. Anyway, um, it was, uh, let me keep going on here. I was disappointed when it wasn't picked up for season four back in 2017. This was one of the last shows I felt addicted to and thought the character development was so well written. I hope, I'm going to guess this is the, the right show, the same one. Yeah, 2015 to 2017. So I have never had a chance to see it myself. Maybe if you guys, some of you guys have had a chance to see it. What do you think about this show? Why don't you jump into the comment section and let uh, uh, Balam Garden State know what you think about it. And I'll keep my eyes open for it, see if it pops up on something. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right, next up. Uh, Darklock63 writes, Miss Thursday's live broadcast, uh, Shannara Chronicles were written uh, were written by Terry Brooks, not Terry Pratt. Yes, I was immediately, so somebody brought that up. I'm like, I might be thinking about this wrong, but didn't he write the the uh, Shannara Chronicles? I think he did. It might have been somebody else. And then I got a slew of messages, <laughs> slew of messages, people correctly pointing out to me that it was actually indeed Terry Brooks. So credit to Terry Brooks. Uh, and thank you to everybody who uh, who set me straight on that. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you, Dark Lock, for doing the same. All right. Friday night with a K writes, Hey, John, forgive me for the, for the abbreviation yesterday. I can't remember which one you asked yesterday. I was asking, who do you think will get the best opportunities in 2021 as a result of the losses due to the pandemic? Which do you think will be more of a priority, diversity or profit? Well, Here's the thing. I believe it is a misnomer to think the two are mutually exclusive concepts. 
I don't think a studio has to choose between diversity or profit. Those are not two diametrically opposed concepts. They're not mutually exclusive things. Done correctly, your studio, you do both and. You know, you do Wonder Woman or Captain America movies, or uh, Captain uh, Marvel, I should say. Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, movies that made $800 million and a billion dollars, respectively. You do Black Panther, which made a billion dollars and Best Picture nomination at the Academy Awards and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think Hollywood has been waking up to the fact that diversity does not mean lack of profit. It can mean profit. That's the same as anything else, though, right? It's the same as anything else. You can have a movie with zero diversity that makes big money and a movie with zero diversity that is completely flops. Same is true with diversity. If you can make a a movie with really good, vibrant diversity in it that makes a billion dollars and you can make a movie with really brilliant uh, or divergent diversity that makes zero money, it still all comes down to you just got to make good product. You got to make good product. But if you make good product... You don't have to choose between diversity or profit. You can do both. You can do both. I mean, you can have movies like a a, a diversity movie like Captain Marvel make a billion dollars, but you make a bad, you know, at least on its surface diversity type of movie like a Charlie's Angels that Elizabeth Banks just directed, which was terrible, and it'll flop. But it's the same true on the non So to me, it's a non-starter. And we need to move past this idea that Diversity should even be an issue. The only reason it's an issue today, I believe, is because for generations, there has been an active and very aggressive agenda of exclusion in Hollywood. I think we all agree with that. I mean, you you pretty much have to be sticking your head in the middle of the ocean to not understand that. But I think we all agree. For generations, there has been an active and aggressive agenda of exclusion in Hollywood. It's about ending that agenda. End that agenda and just give everybody a fair shot. And when you do, you're going to see diversity can equal big profit. So it's not one or the other. But at the end of the day, it's still always going to be about create quality content. Because you can have diversity. If you don't make quality content, it won't matter. You can do, you know, mostly, you know, non-diverse way. But if you don't make good content, it won't matter. It's still at the heart of it has to be good content. Wipe away the agenda of exclusion and then just make good content. And I think if we can accomplish those things, studios got a very bright future ahead of them. That's my take on it at any rate. And maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Whatever. All right. uh, Next up, Capri Grant writes, I've been thinking about the state of the Black Panther IP ever since Chadwick passed, and I really would prefer they, Marvel Studios, not bill it as a Black Panther movie. Uh, The way they explain it sounds more like there won't even be a Black Panther character in it. As stated by, I think, Ryan, it will be a movie about Wakanda slash Wakandans. Granted, I'm sure the Black Panther mantle will play a part of the narrative, but it's not a Black Panther movie, really. I don't know. What do you think? Well, here's here's the problem with that, Capri. The problem problem is we don't know what we're talking about right we don't actually know what the movie is like for all we know it is very black panther centric and a heavy emphasis of the black panther will be 
Wakanda and where is Wakanda right now, but it's still very focused on Black Panther. I, I guess here's the thing. It's I can't take a position that I don't even think they should call it Black Panther because Black Panther's not really featured when I don't know yet. I mean, all we're doing is taking a couple of sentences that Ryan Coogler said, and we're trying to interpret the overall philosophy of the film from just a couple of random sentences he said and a thing. I, so right now, I, I, I wouldn't even want to try to venture a guess. I have no idea right now what this movie is going to be what they're going to focus on. All I know is this. If the movie features a character taking on the mantle of Black Panther in Wakanda, as they have for hundreds of generations, then sure, go ahead and call it Black Panther. If it has nothing to do with Black Panther, then yeah, call it something else. Call it the triumph of Wakanda or something like that. I don't know. But the bottom line is I can't really take either of those positions right now because I haven't seen the movie. So until I see the movie, I can't really take a position on it. So, But once we see it, then we can have that discussion. Then we can have that discussion once we see it. So it's a totally fair question, Capri. I just think we're asking it a little bit early. Let's actually wait to see what it actually is before we start critiquing whether or not it should have been called Black Panther when we don't even know anything about it yet so let's wait and see let's wait and see brother all right next up um uh, ever nolasco writes hi my boy john we lit up here sounds like somebody's having a good time watching the show good to hear from you man next up Daki 75 writes i say spielberg had more than one bad day at the office it's it's a matter of personal opinion i i think he's had one bad day at the office um not so much 1941 which i like and hook which i find okay i love hook and I like 1941, but I love Hook. I think Hook is awesome. Bangarang, baby. Bangarang. Anyway, uh, but Jurassic Park 2 and War of the Worlds, which in my opinion are terrible. See, I don't think those are terrible movies. Jurassic Park 2 isn't as good as the first Jurassic Park. Look, I have no argument for me. I still thought it was an enjoyable film. And I thought War of the Worlds was an enjoyable film. Was it as good as it could have been? Probably not, but I still thought it was an enjoyable film. For me... Spielberg's bad day at the office was terminal that he did with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Tom Hanks. That one to me was his bad day at the office. And, I, and I, look, 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 before everybody starts yelling at me, I know there are a bunch of people who really like that movie. That's awesome. It's all subjective. I'm just saying for me, that's the one. That's the one to me is his bad day at the office. Uh, but not, hey, listen, it's not like Steven Spielberg, who is the greatest filmmaker of all time, in my opinion, but it's not like every single, it's not like he squats over and craps out gold every time he has a bowel movement, right? Like, so yeah, some movies are better than others, but to me, it was, that's the one that was his truly bad day at the office. For you, it's a couple of others, and I totally respect that. Thanks for sharing, Tacky. All right, next up, um, an anonymous viewer writes, hey, John, Sony has shows everywhere, uh, The Boys, Cobra Kai, For, for All Mankind, Last of Us, uh, Silk. Uh, it will always be the winning strategy or will it always be the winning strategy to get other services to bid their shows rather than joining the streaming wars themselves? That is the trillion dollar question right now, Anonymous. That is the trillion dollar question right now. As everybody is scurrying around trying to establish their place in the streaming wars, there are a couple of players that haven't totally gotten into the fray yet and instead they're still just producing content that then other people pay them for you know we'll make this 
and that streaming service will give us X amount of monies so they can put our show on their streaming service. And then we'll make this other show. And a different streaming service will pay us X amount of monies to put our show that we produced on their streaming service. And so the question going around right now, Hollywood, is, is there a lucrative and viable future right now to simply be a content producer rather than your own streaming um, distribution network channel? Is there still a lucrative and viable future to be simply a producer of content than rather also becoming the digital distributor and home of that content? Because right now, the focus is all on the distribution channels itself. Disney creates content for Disney Plus, and they become the delivery system to the audience. People have to subscribe to Disney Plus. HBO and Warner Brothers, same thing. Amazon is creating content for Amazon Prime, and so on and so forth. Peacock's in the game now. Paramount Plus is in the game now. Lots of others as well. Can entities like Sony do well and prosper without having their own streaming channel, instead just selling out their stuff to other things. Maybe, but here's the big catch. Here comes the big catch. Do you want to know why Netflix posted like a $13 billion loss one year while Disney Plus posted, I mean, Disney Plus also posted a loss in their first year. Of course they are. They, they know that probably for a couple of years, they're going to be posting losses. Probably for the next three or four years, they're going to be posting losses, even with 100 million subscribers. That's how much it costs to run one of these businesses. But the reason why Netflix lost so much more money than Disney Plus did for now is because of the unbelievable amount of money that Netflix has to pay in licensing fees. Most of the content on Netflix is not Netflix original content. It's other people's content that they license and pay a licensing fee for. Now, we did a breakdown of this a couple of months ago, and I might be off by one or two million, but basically Netflix right now is paying around $15 billion a year in licensing fees. Again, I may be off by one or two million, a billion on that, but let's just go for the sake of argument. Netflix is basically paying $15 billion a year in in licensing fees to other content creators to be able to put their content on their network. Disney has not had that problem. Disney is only putting Disney content on their channel and therefore don't have that $15 billion. They still have a lot of other bills they got to pay, like producing all the content, just the administration, the upkeep and the running, the operations of that thing is very expensive, but they don't have to pay that $15 billion a year in licensing fees. So you can be a Sony or let's, let's make up, um, Tender Bottom. Let's say you and I, let's say we go in together and we create a production company called Tender Bottom Productions. All right. TBP, Tender Bottom Productions. All right. And we make some some really good movies and we make some really good shows. And these other streaming companies, they license our shows and buy them and we make some good money. But here's the problem. Companies like Netflix are starting to move away 
from licensing other people's content. Netflix has a goal of getting to a place where everything on Netflix is a Netflix original. So while right now, Tender Bottom Productions, we can make some money licensing out, whether it's to Apple Plus or whether it's to Netflix or whatever, we can make some money right now licensing out our stuff. The problem is the streaming wars are moving in a direction where all the individual streamers want to just have their own original exclusive content. That means the market for our content is going to dry up. Now, I'm not saying that's guaranteed what's going to happen, but it is the big worry right now. It is what they're kind of forecasting right now. So, I don't know. That puts Sony and and many, many other smaller companies like that in the precarious position that at some point, no one's going to buy their content. Or B, they're going to have to make their own streaming network for their content. Or C, they're going to have to let themselves get acquired by Paramount Plus. Or get acquired by and become a subsidiary of HBO or whatever. So they can continue to produce content, but it can only be for HBO because HBO owns them. And it becomes a thing they don't have to pay a licensing fee. Anyway, it's, it's valuable and it's worth a much larger discussion than we have time for here today. But... That again, like I said, man, that's a billion dollar question that all the the studios and businesses in Holly right now are asking themselves. And it's going to be really, really interesting uh, to sort of see which way they go with that. Because I know Sony, like, and look, I, I think it's pretty clear Sony is getting ready to get into the streaming game. Sony's getting ready to get into the streaming game. But uh, we will see how that goes. All right, next up. Uh, Glenn writes. Hey, John, Tom Holland says he has no he has no contract left after No Way Home. Uh, the last Sony slash Marvel deal was reported as having another crossover US uh, uh, MCU film. Does it mean that he would uh, have shot his other MCU film? I can't think of anything else other than Doctor Strange 2. The best of my understanding is that here, here's the way I understand it, and I could be totally wrong, so Please take this with a giant grain of salt. This is just how I understand it. I could be way off on this, okay? My current understanding of it is that his contract for all of his individual films are now fulfilled, and I believe he's got the one other like, appearing appearance he's got to do, and I think that is Doctor Strange 2. So I think the Spider-Man Far From Home is the, or No Way Home, I should see, say, Spider-Man No Way Home is his last contractual motion picture to do and i believe he's got one more appearance he has to make in another film and i believe that's going to be doctor strange too and i believe after that he's done so either then sony takes him and takes the character and works him into the sony verse and now they're going to have spider-man there or marvel and sony make a new deal and continue on their relationship. I personally hope they continue on their relationship. I really like the movies they've made together. I really like Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home. I think they've both been really good films. I think this collaboration between the two studios has been very successful and very beneficial for both of them. Everybody's making money. Everybody's happy. I hope it continues. But if it doesn't, then I think Doctor Strange 2 will be the last time uh, we see him. So again, I could be right about that. I could be wrong. Not really sure, but we'll see where it goes. All right, next up. Um, Ryan Loner writes one of two. 
Uh, the greatest movie experience of my childhood was seeing Jurassic Park on my ninth birthday. I'll always remember the palpable awe that filled the room when that first uh, Brachiosaurus appears. To this day, I'm literally never not in the mood to watch to watch it. It was where I first learned to pay attention to movie directors. Uh, thanks to my parents for telling me, you know, this is the same guy who made Hook. And we were just talking about Hook. Listen, there are... It's hard to think of another moment in a movie that was so good, like that scene in Jurassic uh, Park when Sam Neill, Dr. Grant, in Jurassic Park, when he stands in the Jeep, grabs his glasses and looks out, and then we as the audience see what he sees... That is one of the most magical, all-time powerful moments in movies. It's it's serious. I will always remember that moment. We will always remember that moment. And maybe some of you are too young, and like you were born when they were already had these huge advances in visual effects. But for those of us who were just old enough, like when Jurassic Park came out, you'll never understand. What a huge leap forward that was. It was the moment that George Lucas said, when I saw Jurassic Park in that moment, that's when I knew I could make the Star Wars prequels. That's when he knew he could make new Star Wars movies, when he saw that moment in Jurassic Park. And it is absolutely one of the more powerful, powerful scenes ever that will stay with me for just absolute magic, man. Absolute magic. Next up, Ron Frazier writes, uh, hey, John and Co. We have a black Superman. Uh, his name is John Henry Irons. Well, no, he's Steel. He's not Kal-El. So that's there's two different things. Anyway, a.k.a. Steel. We have a few details on this movie, but I would love to see Steel done right. Not counting the 1997 movie. Yeah, I was not counting that. Over under 50% chance that happens. Love the show. I'm going to say under 50%. I don't think there's a lot of hunger out there for Steel, and that's not really a black Superman. Now, just so you know, um, there is a black real Superman, Kal-El, in the comics. His name's uh, Rod, El- it's, his last name's Ellis. I think it's Calvin, Calvin Ellis. Yes, yes, Cal- that's right, because I remember because of Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin Ellis um, is, a, is Kal-El, a black Superman in the DC comics. He's there. So there's actually a real one. But as far as Steel goes, I don't know, man. I think that that last movie kind of salted the earth on it. I'm not sure they're ever going to go back to Steel. Maybe they will someday. Maybe they won't. We'll see. All right. Next up. Uh, o plus 98 writes, Hey, John, I feel it's time for Warner Brothers to take a hard look in the mirror and realize their DCEU is not working. Despite a few wins, the foundation of the DCEU is weak. Maybe it's time for them to push the reboot button. Your thoughts. Well, I actually got to disagree with you. I thought there was a point in time a couple of years ago that if they were going to reboot, that was the time to do it. And I still think maybe they should have at the time, but they decided to go in a different direction. And you know what? They're having some success. I actually think Warner Brothers right now, despite all the BS drama going on behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff, I feel like the DCEU is in a pretty good spot right now. They were able to knock out their first billion-dollar film ever with uh, with Aquaman. They followed it up with a fantastic Shazam movie. Like, just completely fan. That Shazam movie is my second favorite DCEU movie. 
obviously the best one is Man of Steel, obviously, but I think Shazam is like the second best DCEU movie. Um, they then, you know, experimented and rolled the dice with this Joker movie, which is not DCEU, but, you know, they decided to roll the dice and do something that was outside of the universe. Obviously, a billion-dollar film, Best Picture nomination, won the Academy Award for Best Lead Actor for Joaquin Phoenix. I think they're in a pretty good spot. Now, we'll be able to tell a lot over the next couple of years. How will this Matt Reeves Batman movie work out? I hope it's as awesome as it looks. We'll see. Uh, how will this Flash movie work out? There's been a lot of drama around this Flash movie, a lot of drama over the years. Like five sets of directors, five sets of writers, come and go, come and come, come and go. You know, are there enough women on set for Ezra Miller to choke? All that kind of stuff. A lot of drama. But they've got an excellent director attached right now. They do. They've got an excellent director attached right now. And there have been some exciting sounding things that have come out of it. So, I mean, the, all these discussions change a lot. Look, what do we always say? Winning cures everything. Right? Winning cures everything. And if this Batman movie works away, hell, we got James Gunn's Suicide Squad coming. It's James freaking Gunn. I'm expecting that to be great. So if they put out like Suicide Squad and it's great. And if they put out, you know, this, if Matt Reeves' Batman comes out and if it's great. And which I think with Matt Reeves directing it, there's good reason to think that maybe it will. And then if this Flash movie can work, well, guess what? We're all looking at the DCU very, very differently. And I think they've already done some good things to get themselves onto road recovery. All we need is freaking Henry Cavill. Henry, he's standing, you can barely see, there he is right there. You can see the S on his chest. Henry, we need Henry back. Where's Henry? He doesn't have to be in JJ's movie, that's fine, but be in the other movies. We need Henry. Somebody go get Henry, would you? Can somebody please go get Henry? Anyway, um, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see, again, I thought the time, if they were going to reboot, was a couple of years ago. They went in a new direction. I think they need to stick with that direction right now because right now it seems like they're having some success. It seems like they're having some success. Let's see where it goes. Anyway, next up, we've got Eric uh, Fiden who writes, um, I've been watching uh, your show for a year and a half. Oh, thanks for being around, Eric. I enjoy your show. What is the origin of the Bring on the Filthy? We get asked this question at least every two or three months. I'll make it really quick. Back when uh, the last Fifty Shades of Grey movie was coming out, there was a discussion going on about whether things should be rated uh, NC-17 or rated R. And we started talking about how dirty the film will be, right? And while talking about it, I said, now don't get me wrong, I love the filthy. Bring on the filthy, is what I said during the show. Talking about the filthiness of what would what we might or may not see in a Fifty Shades of Grey conclusion. And I said, so, you know, don't get me wrong. I love filthy. Bring on the filthy. And uh, it stuck. Like after that, everybody just started writing in and ending their emails with blah, 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 blah. And bring on the filthy. Bringing on the filthy is not just a saying, ladies and gentlemen. It is a way of life. If you're reaching inside to the core of your chakra and you will find your filthy. Live by the filthy. Bring on the filthy, my friends. All right, next up. That's the story behind it, Eric. Uh, I hope, uh, I know it's not that great of a story, but that's that's where the whole thing originated from. That's where it came from. Okay, 
Uh, Eric uh, Fiden also writes, uh, what are your thoughts on the Chinese movie Hi Mom making over $700 million? Also in second place, Detective Chinatown 3 made $680 million. This is very encouraging for the movie industry. Yes, um, it is. I mean, it is. And look, when you're somebody like me who is desperately looking for encouraging good news about the movie theater industry, that should be something that makes me very excited. However, I have always been very, very skeptical of China and their reporting of their box office. China is unique. They're one of the very, very few countries that they do their own internal reporting, whereas most countries in the world, there's a certain, we, we did a special video once on how our box office numbers reported and they go through the system and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, China's one of those things that kind of sits outside of that. And maybe it is completely unfair. Maybe it's totally unfair of me. And I acknowledge that maybe it is. I fully, fully own it. I acknowledge it may be unfair of me, but I, I am just skeptical a little bit of numbers that we hear coming out of China's box office. I, I, Again, I'm not saying I know for a fact that they lie about their numbers. Nope, nope. I have I have no proof. This is just me. I just I just look at the numbers that get reported and I'm going that that doesn't sound right to me. So, I see those numbers. I want to be encouraged by those numbers, but I'll be honest with you, I do feel uh, I I do feel a little skeptical. I I don't believe them at face value. And maybe I should, and maybe it's completely unfair that I don't. Um, and maybe someday somebody will present me with some stuff that says, actually, John, here are how they report it. This is how it's all kept above board, blah. And then I'll feel better about it. But I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't quite trust their reporting. I don't quite trust their box office reporting, but that's just me. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Jonathan writes. The reason I'm more excited for DC stuff than Marvel is because we've had Marvel movies left and right for 11 years. DC is kind of the underdog now, and I do want something different in my comic book movies. Your thoughts on DC being an underdog? Well, DC's own, I mean, they are. I mean, right now, there's no mistaking. They are the underdog, but they are the underdog because they have put themselves in that position, right? They're the underdog because they put themselves in that position. Um, whereas Marvel has enjoyed a lot more success, you know, DC is now a bit of the underdog, but listen, this is the battle cry we've been saying for years. It is best for everybody. If DC has a vibrant, healthy, successful slate of programming, it's just better for everybody. You know, I have, I will never understand the perspective of Marvel fanboys or DC fanboys wanting the other to fail. It's like, I'm sorry, just, just time out here, Marvel fanboy. Do you think Ant-Man 3 will be 1% better of a movie if the upcoming Flash movie fails? Do, do you think if for some magical reason that the upcoming Flash movie fails, that that will make Ant-Man 3 any better? As long as you're not a complete moron, you know that it won't. And if it won't, why would you, why would anybody actively hope any movie is bad? I've never understood that. I've never understood that. 
It is best for everybody. Kevin Feige has constantly said this. Henry Cavill has constantly said this. They cheer for each other's movies to succeed. We should, even if you are a Marvel fanboy or a DC fanboy, if you're intelligent, you should be cheering for everybody's movies to be doing well. Somebody else's movie not doing well does not help you. So I've, I've never understood that. I've never understood that mentality. That being said, that being said, um, I think DC, I get excited about by DC movies for a couple of reasons. One, because I, I'm just a big fan of the core characters DC has. Obviously, I'm very much a Superman guy. I am very much a Batman guy like most people. That's stereotypical, but it's true. Very much a Batman guy. Um, anyway, but also... It's the same reason I didn't want Disney to win the bidding war for Fox because I like multiple companies putting out different types of comic book movies to, to diversify the landscape and to give something for everybody. And that's why I do want, you know, I, I want S Sony's Spider-Verse movies to succeed and be great. I want DC movies to succeed and be great. I want Marvel's movies to succeed and be great. And um, yeah, I just think it's better for everybody. I mean, obviously not all movies are great, but it's better for everybody when, when the genre itself is succeeding. And so, yeah, anyway, that's just kind of my take on that. I know it's not the popular take, but that is my take on it nonetheless. All right. Uh, Crazy Joe Megapodtastic writes, one or two. Hello, John and Rob. About a year ago, we learned that Nicolas Cage was going to play himself in a movie called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, Lionsgate set the release date for March 19th, 2021. Lionsgate has still never officially changed the release date with no trailer or marketing. I can't believe this is actually opening. And yet the studio hasn't said otherwise. Will this movie really open in one week? I actually have no idea. It's a great question, man. It's a great, great question. And as, because as of right now, I have no idea. That thing has so fallen off my radar. I remember when they first announced it, we all talked about it a bunch because the concept of the movie was just crazy, as is most things. Zevia, sponsor me, you sons of bitches. Um, yeah, I, we all talked about it because it was such a crazy concept uh, for, it was such a crazy concept for, for, for a story. We're all on board it and really nothing has ever come out about it. And so I honestly don't know. It may very well be opening, and I just have no idea, Crazy Joe. I will have to go and look that up a little bit later because that is, I'll be honest with you. When I think about Nick Cage right now, I think of two things. Um, the swear words thing he's got on Netflix and the Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff movie that he's got that I still haven't watched. I totally have to watch that. Because it, it's a total Five Nights at Freddy ripoff. Make no mistake about it. But it looks like a lot of fun. So when I think of, right now when I think of Nick Cage, I think of those two things. So it's been off my radar. Willie's Wonderland. Is that what it's called, Bill? 4393? Uh, four, Willie's Wonderland? If, if that's the name of it. I got to watch that still. Because it still looks like bonkers fun. Even though, again, it is a shameless ripoff of Five Nights at Freddy's. I, I do have to check it out. And Lee in the live chat is saying that it that it was fun. He said, so, yeah, I got to see it. I got to see it. So we'll have to go on from there. All right, next up. We got Black Rice, 19, who writes, Just watched the making of documentary of WandaVision. I wanted to watch it last night, but I had to go to bed. I wanted to watch that because if it's as good as the Mandalorian making of thing, it, that could be pretty fun. So for those of you who don't know, Disney Plus has dropped 
kind of like they're basically making of mini documentary of WandaVision. It's it's on Disney Plus right now. Um, I just I watch it sometime later today. Sometime later today, I'll sit down and watch it while Anne's working. All right. Um, just watch the making of documentary for WandaVision. It's really cool. I know Feige gets all the credit usually, but it really is a team effort. Respect to director Matt Shankman and the writing team, Jack Schaefer, who it's really, Jack's, it's, it's really her show. Like she was the complete showrunner of it. She did a fabulous job. Jack Schaefer put together in making this great show. And you know what? That's the thing about Kevin Feige is what makes Marvel great is you have a guy at the head of it in Kevin Feige who not only understands completely where he wants his stories to go and everything about uh, what their their Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be. Here's the key. Kevin Feige is supremely good. Unlike a Kathleen Kennedy, Kevin Feige is supremely good at finding the right people who have the right dynamic with himself who are on the same page as he's on, who are the right fit for the right projects. Kevin Feige is an absolute master. Because you know what you never hear coming out of Marvel? Drama. You never hear any drama coming out of Marvel. And when we do, it's very, very rarely... Like, not on the level that we hear, unfortunately, coming out of DC. And DC's, Marvel, I mean, Warner Brothers and DC, they're getting it under control. But, like, we have just become accustomed over the years, all the drama. It's always drama. It's always, whenever you talk, it's almost like when everybody, anybody says DC now, I just anticipate they're about to mention something new about drama. I mean, whether it's the Ezra Miller stuff, the coming and going of, you know, 10 different sets of directors and writers off the Flash movie, whether it's whatever BS is going on surrounding Snyder Cut at the time, whether it's this guy or that guy or it's this thing and that thing. It's just it's just always drama. You never hear that coming out of Marvel because you got a guy at the head of it who knows how to put the right people in the right place. He knows how to get people who are on the same page as him and then everybody knows to go and then he can unleash the talents and abilities of great, huge teams of people and without any drama and, or at least uh, not a significant amount of drama. Every, every place will have its drama, but without a big significant things of drama, you just don't hear about it. So it's, it is amazing. And listen, I'll, I'll tell you what, for a second here, I'll, I'll toot my own horn for a second here too. Do you want to know why? Like somebody asked me once, cause you know, I took three different YouTube channels. I took three different YouTube channels to over 200,000 subscribers each, right? I, I did it with AMC. We started that from scratch. They had nothing. They had no, they had a shell of a YouTube channel. Nobody watched it. Blah, blah. We took that channel when I, before I left, before we transmuted over, we had over, we were closing in on 300,000 subscribers. We moved over to take over Collider and create Collider video. And we were able to take that to over 200,000. They ended up much higher than that. But by the time I left, we had taken it to over a couple hundred thousand subscribers. Then I did the John Campia show and we're over 200,000 subscribers. But the main reason we were able to do that I believe at AMC and at Collider 
wasn't because John Campia is the most fabulous on-camera personality. No, the reason is because the one thing I'm really good at, and I'm not good at a lot. I'm not good at a lot. I'm not like one of these sickeningly talented people like, say, Dennis Zen, who's just like good at everything he does, which kind of sickens me a little bit, to be honest. But, um, But the one thing I am really good at is that I know how to identify the right talent in people that would fit in well and be a good part of a team that can move towards success. And the thing that I have always been most proud of looking back over the years is that I had, I did a really good, I did a really good job of putting together really good teams. And I think that's the key of what Kevin Feige does. Kevin Feige knew how, knows how to put together um, and uh, put together incredible teams. It's done incredibly smoothly. And WandaVision is just a great example of that. Uh, WandaVision is a good, another good example of him finding the right people in the right position that are on the right page and on the same page as him. And then they were able to go and uh, make things work. Anyway, there's that. Okay, next up. Um, and I do got to go and watch that documentary still. All right, Scott Brown writes, One of the most overused tropes used in movies and TV uh, that annoys me to no end is Hollywood seems to think that anything important only happens in New York or L.A. So every movie or show must take place there. Things happen in other places besides New York and L.A. It's true, but to be fair to Hollywood, those are the two biggest cities and they are the cultural hubs of the country and they do represent the East and the West Coasts. And that's where most of these studios exist is in New York and L.A. And therefore, the majority of not all of them, but the majority of the stories told will happen and take place in L.A. and New York. So I I get where you're coming from, Scott. I do. But even as a Hamilton kid, I got to say, I get it. Like, remember, I was just talking about how they shoot all this stuff in Hamilton, but they never say it happens in Hamilton. Remember that? But I but I always got it. I always understood. Yes, I do wish they said that, I don't know, uh, Titans takes place in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Sure, I wish they would say The Boys happens in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Sure, I wish they would do that, but I get it why they don't. <laughs> I get it why they don't. So anyway, there's just that. All right, next up. Uh, Thor Odinson writes, With the ending of WandaVision and Spider-Man 3 on the verge of release... Uh, what are your thoughts if we don't get an appearance by Garfield and Maguire? Do you think the comic book film community are be, are, are becoming toxic by ruining movies doomed due to their own theories? Well, I mean, that this obviously has become a big point of discussion with WandaVision happening. And, you know, Evan Peters, as I told you guys from day one, was not Quicksilver. I told you he wasn't. I was also wrong about many things in WandaVision, but I was right about that one. Um but that no, but seriously, it's become a big topic of discussion. Here's the thing. There are some people running around trying to swing the pendulum too far the other way, saying, you know, it's bad for fans to theorize and it's bad for fans to speculate. I say nonsense. Theorizing and speculating is one of the most fun things we as fans get to do. Theorizing and speculating is one of the most fun things for us to do. It's great to, to get together. It gets us into discussions with each other. It gets us more invested in the properties. Here's the catch. 
And somebody should make this a t-shirt and always drop this saying wherever you see theories and speculation get out of hand, all right? Theories and speculation should never become expectation. Let me say that again. Theories and speculation should never become expectation. Theories and speculation are fun and they're awesome and I do it and you do it and we should all do it and we should have fun doing it together. But we have to be aware of not letting those theories and speculations become expectations. Now I expect Dr. Strange to show up at the end of WandaVision. Now I expect Andrew Garfield to swing around in the city. Do, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Now I expect that. See, that's where we get ourselves into trouble. That's where fans get themselves into trouble. Because now we've gone to, ooh, they could do this and they could do that, to they better do this and they better do that. And that's where, and we've all done it. We've all done it. Let's not point fingers at other people. We've all done it. We've all done it. It's when we cross that line of taking our theories and speculations and make them expectations, that's when we become in danger of being toxic. As long as we keep our theories and speculations as just that, as they could do this, they could do that, and don't let it cross into they better do this and they better do that. Because when you become one of those fans, and again, we've all done it, I've done it, you've done it, we're all guilty of this from time to time. But when we do cross that line, we start saying, oh, they better do this. Well, now you've become a toxic fan. That's, or or you're, maybe you're not toxic, but you're acting toxic. I may not be toxic, but in that moment, I'm acting toxic. And that's, I think that's something we all have to try to be aware of. It's fun to speculate. It's fun to have theories. Just never let them evolve into expectations. Because that is when we get into trouble. And as long as we as a fan community can try to reel ourselves in, we'll be fine. And it'll be fun. And it'll be great. Because listen, I'm on the train of, hey, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire could, could, could show up in Spider-Man. And that's fun to think about. But we can't let ourselves then expect it to happen. And to think now it better happen. And that's that's the line. That's the difference. So anyway, that's how I see it, Thor. That's how I see it. At any rate, uh, next up, Taskmaster503 writes, Hey, John, it's official. Saskatoon, where I lived for like six or seven years. I love Saskatoon. Uh, it's official. Saskatoon officially has a professional soccer club. That's nine clubs, not including the three MLS teams. There is a team in the cities of Langford, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, Hamilton, Toronto, Toronto area, Ottawa, and Halifax. I'm glad Halifax has a team. I don't follow soccer at all. I wish I did. But somebody told me the other day, I think it was on this show, somebody wrote in and told me that, you know, there's this soccer league and Hamilton's got a team. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. That's how unplugged I am from soccer at the moment. That's completely how unplugged I am. All right, Stephen Campanella writes, Hey, if Marvel owned the Spidey rights, uh, what would your ultimate Spider-Man saga be to tell his story efficiently? I think its six-film arc would... I think a six-film arc would work, three leading to the Sinister Six uh, and three with Goblin and Venom, ultimately passing the torch to Miles. I don't care. 
I, I honestly, Stephen, I never, first of all, I don't want Marvel to get Spider-Man permanently. I think that just homogenizes comic book movies too much. I hope he stays with Sony. That's just my personal preference. Um, especially after watching what they did with Venom and with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, I, I actually do want him to stay over there. That's just me. That's just me. Um, I don't get into the, this is what they should do. My mentality, because I used to do that a lot. I, I was terrible at that. I have been trying, and not always successfully, but I have been trying for the last number of years to really adapt a attitude of, I just want to see what the filmmakers will, will do. That's all. I don't want to create any expectations. I don't want to create any ideas about this is the story they have to follow and blah, blah, blah. You know, I just want to be in a place where, hey, if Marvel, if Sony sold the rights back to Marvel, which I don't think they'll they'll ever do, but if they did, I would just want them to make their best movies possible. That's it. I don't think they need to follow this storyline or that storyline or whatever. I, I would just honestly, Stephen, my approach would just want to be, Hey, attach some talented writers and some talented and a talented director or two and show me. You tell a story and tell me the story. And then I'll decide if I liked your story or not. But I, I don't like going into it and trying to create, here's the storyline you need to do. You need to do six parts of this. The first three parts need to do A, B, C, and D. And then you transition into this. And then you do the, I, I mean, it's fun for a lot of other people to do it. And I don't knock anybody who does it. I'm just saying for me personally, I know... Uh, that type of uh, pre-construction in my head often left me to disappointment when it didn't need to. And so just for myself, I just like to take the attitude of, hey, you go tell a story and let me see how it turns out. I, I just kind of prefer doing it that way. But that's just my take on it, Stephen. That's just my take on it. But yeah, at the end of the day, I do really do want Spider-Man to stay with Sony. Anyway, uh, Kina writes, Good morning, John and Rob. Rob's not here today. I hope you're both well. Captain Marvel and Wanda have become the most powerful in the MCU because of Infinity Stones. Was Jane Foster, uh, was Jane Foster, was blessed in such a way in Thor, the Dark World? Is that how she becomes the female Thor? That has been a topic of speculation for a while. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And because if so, why is it taken this long? Why has she gone this long in the comics without any power manifestation, right? How, how have they gone this long without any power manifestation? Don't know. But no, you're absolutely right. Kevin Feige has said de facto, Captain Marvel is the most powerful person in the MCU. Okay. After the events of WandaVision, you have to assume Wanda is right up there too. And you're right. The one thing the two of them have in common is they both inherited their powers, or at least a good portion of their power, from Infinity Stones imbuing its power into them, right? Jane hosted the power of, what do they call it at the time, the ether. She hosted the, the power of the ether, which I believe was the reality stone, if I'm not mistaken. Could be wrong about that. So that could be, you might be honest on there, Keenan, that could be a very logical, um, that could be a very logical transition into whatever it is she's going to be in the new Thor movie. So it, it's, it's, it's a good observation. Let's see if they go that way. All right, next up. 
Muhammad writes, uh, whichever streaming service can secure sports will win in the end. Shows can be binged. Breaking news can be followed online. Sports must always be live. Also, uh, get rid of uh, market blackouts. Dude, I hate market blackouts. Oh, my God. I, I've always hated them. They've had them ever since I was a kid. They still have them today. Ann and I try to sit down and watch a Lakers game. It's like, sorry, you can't watch the Lakers right now. It's like, F you. Bothers me so much. Um, I don't know about that, though, because... It's not like ESPN Plus is like the the big thing. But listen, I think, I think eventually, and by eventually, I don't mean 20 years from now. I think like probably in the next five years, I think the NFL is just going to create its own streaming network. I really do. I think they're just going to create their own streaming network and they're going to bypass the networks. And I think they are going to make their, their own thing and i think a lot of people will sign up for it it's the most popular sport in america uh i think they're going to go that route but we'll see we'll see i I just don't know that live sports fits into well i mean i don't know hbo has always done hbo was legendary for their boxing and i don't know man it's a good you know what you might be onto something there i'll have to think about that more it's an excellent point to bring up muhammad well done all right uh monkey of all djs writes I can't believe it. Your Leafs are at the top of the league. I know. Don't jinx it. Just shut your dirty mouth. Shut your dirty mouth. Don't jinx it. Uh, I can't believe it. Your Leafs are top of the league. My Jets split their series one game apiece. Do you think the NHL splitting the countries like this is a a detriment? Yes. I, I didn't like that at all. Now, listen, but I will say this. I like them trying different things. I like that. You know, and yeah, they're trying something right now that I don't like, but you know what? I don't want to deter them from trying new things and different things. I'd like to see them break that up and go back to like a more of an East Coast, West Coast thing a little bit later. But for now, it's an okay thing. I'm just, yeah, don't, please don't talk about anything about where the Leafs are in the standings, please. Please. I just, I can't, I, I can't take it. I can't take it. All right, next up, Jesse writes, John, I'm so glad you're on board with Superman and Lois, and now I hope after watching episodes three, you see what I meant yesterday about the greatness of that scene between Lana and Sarah uh, talking in the bedroom. This show is better than it has any right being. You know what? That scene was not HBO quality, but it was much more grounded than your typical CW show would have tried to play that scene out as. I mean, the stuff they're doing with with Lana's family is also like incredibly resonant. You know what's really good? I like the fact that Lana's husband isn't a straight up dick. Like he's got edge to him for sure. He's a little hard to be likable. But when it comes down to it, you can tell this is a dude who just wants what's good for his town. You know, you could even tell in his discussion with Lana, it's like, of course I care. You know, all that kind of stuff. He acts a little bit dickish, but they're not making him one dimensional. And like even that whole aspect of Lana's family, I I just really appreciate what they're doing with it. And we'll see how they uh, we'll see how they go with it. All right, next up, Sophia Young-G writes, uh, Hi, John, Rob, Aaron. HBO Max is doing a virtual red carpet premiere hosted by Zack Snyder from a big sound stage for Snyder Cut. Is Warner Brothers taking hashtag restore the Snyderverse seriously? Thanks. I don't think they are. I think they've already made up their... I mean, look, I'll, instead of giving you my own opinion, all I will say is what they have said. Walter Hamada has said, this is a dead end. This is a cul-de-sac. That's been the big phrase going around. And Zack Snyder has said he has no plans to make any other DC stuff. 
So you interpret that as you will. All right. You interpret that however you want to interpret it. Uh, All I have to go on, I'm not on the inside. All I have to go on is what have they said. And what they have said is this is a dead end. This is a special one-time thing. Zack Snyder has said he has no plans to make more. So that's what they've said. Now, how you interpret that, I'll leave it up to you. But that's just what they've said. All right, next up. Uh, Muhammad writes, if you do decide to do another studio tour, you can talk about, can you talk about your PC? I recently built a PC for both gaming and business and would like to see how yours came to be. Yeah, I really like, I like mine, but I'm actually looking at getting a new one. I am now in the business of looking for a new PC. I've had this one now for about two years. Um, So basically I've got an eight core i9 processor. I've got 32 gigs of RAM. I've got a uh, NVIDIA 2070 uh, graphics card in it. I've got about six terabytes in total of uh, spread over three different hard drives, all SSDs in the in the machine, uh, with uh, connected um, uh, media range HDMI capture cards and things like that. And, uh, and I've got one, two, three, four, five monitors hooked up. <laughs> I've got like five monitors hooked up. But I am actually now starting to think about getting a new machine. I'm thinking about getting one with one of the AMD Threadrippers in it. I'm thinking of upping it to 64, maybe 128 gigs of RAM. And I'm thinking about getting one of those 3090 video cards because I'm doing more editing now on my own as well. I'll tell you what I'm editing for soon. But I've been doing some editing lately uh, and getting a little bit more into some compositing and visual effects. So I'm kind of wanting a little bit of a beefier machine. Um, So I'm thinking about it. But yeah. Uh, mine's been, I've had mine for about two years. I'm thinking I'm getting ready to move on from it, but I'm also considering waiting to see what Mac, what Apple is going to give us with these. Cause they just put out these M one chips, which are stupid powerful. And if they come out with these M two chips or M one, uh, M one X chips, and if they go to like 16, some are saying speculating could go up to like 32 cores then I may, I may consider jumping back on. Remember, I used an iMac for a long time. For a long time, I used my primary machine was an iMac. Uh, and I might go back to Mac. So I'm kind of in that space right now where I'm trying to decide what my next PC will be because I'm, I'm going to get another one here pretty soon. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, next up, JR writes, uh, one of two. One reason I may be a little upset with Netflix's new system is I live about three hours away from the rest of my family with all major streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Disney, etc. So we each pay for one or two and share the password with the rest. Uh, I would be so annoyed at the constant text back and forth of, hey, it doesn't recognize me again. Check your email. You have two minutes or I'm locked out or worse. Uh, We all now have to pay a hundred bucks a month so we can all own every streaming service individually. And listen, JR, I I get what you're saying. I do. But Netflix makes a product for the purpose of selling it to customers. And you it just feels odd to be angry at a company for making it difficult for you to bypass having to pay for their service. And just because your mom and dad have it 
doesn't mean you have a birthright. I mean, this is this is just how I see it, okay? Just because mom and dad have it at home doesn't mean you have a birthright that you get to have Netflix now too because they have it. Well, that's not how it works, right? You're a grown-ass man now. You're a grown-ass man. And I know you live three hours from your family, but if you want Netflix, pay for it. And if you don't want Netflix, then don't pay for it. But I, I don't know. Again, it just seems weird. The concept seems weird to me. Let's be angry at a company who's making it difficult for us to take their product without paying for it. It just seems odd. That's all I'm saying. It just seems odd. We don't have a right to have Netflix. We don't have a right to have HBO Max or a right to have Disney+. Plus. If you want to have it, pay for it. If you don't want to pay for it, don't have it. I mean, there's a lot of things I want that I don't want to pay for, so I just don't get it. And again, maybe I'm in the minority. Maybe I am in the minority on that. I absolutely. Hey, listen, I'm not going to pretend like I haven't borrowed, like earlier that I didn't borrow mom and dad's password on a thing or two. I'm not going to pretend like I didn't do that. But hey, I'm a grown ass man. I should have my own. I should pay for my own. And if I don't want to pay for it, then just don't have it. But I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just me. It's just me. Anyway, I hope you're able to figure it out, JR. I really do hope you're able to figure it out. Next up, Roll the Egg writes, Years ago, I got a welcome email from Netflix, which deleted, which I deleted as spam. Got it again a few years, uh, a few years or a few hours later, deleted. Then I got a call from my son who asked about Netflix. After I told him what I had done, uh, his only response was, Happy birthday, Dad. Love <laughs> Happy birthday, Dad. Love your show. You know what? I did that too. Like, I remember there was a friend of mine, Ashley, who um, for Christmas just one year, I decided, oh, this was this was a couple of years ago. But my friend Ashley, I for Christmas, I bought her a six-month thing to Netflix. I just bought her a six-month thing to Netflix. Now, like, seems like everybody has Netflix, so that's not such a whatever gift. But that is funny. It's like, welcome to Netflix. Ah, spam. <laughs> Dad, I got this for you. Or it's like a package shows up. It's like, oh, this is just junk. You throw it away. It's like, Dad, I just bought you something. That's a funny story. Thank you for sharing that story, Roll of the Egg. I appreciate that. All right, next up. James Argento writes, Superman and Lois question. Number one, do you think black suit Superman uh, BSS is Injustice or Earth 3 version of Superman? And do you think BSS will be the villain of season two or of crossover next year. Um, I don't know. It's way too early to guess about that. It's way too early. Because remember, one of the things that Luthor says is that that Superman destroyed his world. Like, my, uh, so my impression is that whatever world that was, that world's destroyed. It's gone. So I don't even know if that Superman is still around there or not. So I, you know what, here's the thing, honestly, for me right now, James, it is so, we are literally three episodes in, we're three episodes in, I have no idea what, what they're going to do on the next episode, yet, let alone what I think, who's going to be the bad guy in season two, I don't even know what the, the, the overall story of season one is yet, we're just starting to get a picture of what the story for season one is yet, so I feel like I am not in any position at all to even speculate uh, as to, you know, 
where if that character is going to come into play again or whether that was just there as an example of this is what that Luther's experience with a Superman is and it wasn't good. So whether they come back or not, I'm sure we'll get a sense of that as we get a few more episodes into this season. But again, after just three episodes, you got to give me a little bit more time than that, James. Give me a little bit more time than that to kind of theorize on that. All right. Next up, uh, War Doctor 10 writes, Hey, John and crew. One of my favorite shows on HBO Max right now is Avenue 5 starring Hugh Laurie. I've heard about this. This show is absolutely hilarious. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. If you check it out. Is this the space one? Let me just, uh, uh, Avenue 5. Is this the one where like he's the captain of a spaceship or sort of captain of a spaceship? It is. You know what? I'm so glad you reminded me of this war doctor. Uh, let me see if I can bring it up here. Um, Avenue 5. There it is, IMDb. So I'm so glad you reminded me of this because I watched the pilot episode of Avenue 5 and I really liked the pilot, but I never watched after that. And honestly, for the life of me, I don't know why I didn't because I really liked the pilot. I thought the first episode was really good and then I never watched it again and I've totally forgotten about it. So I am super glad that you just put that back on my... I mean, so basically, think of uh, Wally. Think of Wally. Avenue 5 is about this basically intergalactic cruise ship, right? Hugh Laurie's the captain. Something goes wrong. Um, and again, I only got one episode into it, but I thought it was quite funny and I thought it was really good. And then I totally forgot about it. I'm so glad you put it back on my radar, War Doctor. I'm going to have to go and catch up with it again because I totally lost track of it. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, a year or two ago, I would have been pro-Kathleen Kennedy leaving, but in the last year with Mandalorian, Clone Wars Season 7, the TV show announcements, and bringing back Lucasfilm games, I genuinely believe Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy have learned from the sequel backlash. Well, I mean, my concerns... Now, look... There is, I absolutely agree. Has Kathleen, Kathleen Kennedy gotten them into a pretty good spot right now? After that investors call meeting, when you hear all these new shows, particularly like the Acolyte, Rogue Squadron, um, the Obi-Wan series movement, how good Mandalorian was, uh, all these different things. Yeah, she's got them in. They've Listen, give credit where it's due. You know I've been very critical of Kathleen Kennedy as far as running Lucasfilm goes, but... Credit where it's due. She's got them in a really good position right now. I mean, that doesn't take away from... I mean, The Rise of Skywalker was the culmination of a lot of mistakes. And most of them Kathleen Kennedy's. But, like, the fact... How Kathleen Kennedy never even got that new trilogy started with an overall roadmap and an overall plan and just played it by year film to film. That was stupidest, stupidest mistake and a culminated in a truly awful, it's all subjective, but to me, a truly, truly awful Rise of Skywalker movie. That said, has she learned the lessons from that? Maybe. And if you're going to be honest and you're going to give credit where it's due, you got to say right now, the world of Star Wars seems very well positioned. And I will give her that. I, I do. And I give her credit for that. I still think her inability to properly identify the right people to run right franchises, although she knocked it out of the park with John Favreau. I'll give her that. She did. 
but she also went through like three or four different directors on three or four different projects in just the first couple of years. I still think it's best for her to move on in the next year, year and a half. But we'll see how it starts to unfold. She does have them very well positioned right now. There's a lot of things coming that a lot of people are very excited about. Mandalorian Season 3, The Book of Boba Fett, the Obi-Wan series, like I said, Rogue Squadron, the Ahsoka stuff. I mean, so I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see. Again, it's like with me with Superman and Lois. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. But then when a new thing comes out, I just leave my baggage at the door and I give it a fair shot and I call it like I see it. And I ended up really liking what Superman and Lois has, has turned into. So let's let's see what happens with uh, with Kathy Kennedy and her universe of Star Wars stuff moving forward. All right. Uh, Dom's vibranium bicep writes, sup, John? A uh, quick one for you. Understood Netflix removing sharing. However, uh, wouldn't this affect the value of their view count, therefore devaluing their overall product? Am I seeing this incorrectly? It's irrelevant. The only thing that gives value to Netflix is paying customers. That's it. Nothing else. They don't care about ratings. They don't care about any of this stuff. They don't have advertisers that they got to keep happy. Remember, this isn't like traditional cable where NBC needs the ratings on that show to be really good so they can charge X amount of dollars to advertisers and sponsors. Netflix doesn't play that game. Netflix isn't in that game. The only thing Netflix cares about is subscribers. That's it. Nothing else matters for them. Bottom line is, it, they don't care if they have 5 billion people, every human soul on earth, watching the next episode of The Crown. It doesn't mean anything to them unless those views aren't coming from paid subscriptions. That's it. That's all that matters to them. And they could care less if only 10 people on the entire planet watch the next episode of The Crown as long as they've got 300 million subscribers, which they got a little over 200 million right now. That honestly, that's their only game. Their only game is subscribers, 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 subscribers. Nothing else matters. So every content decision they make is about acquiring and maintaining their subscriber base. And therefore, since that's their number one priority, they are going to go after things that take away from their subscriber numbers, like the number of people sharing passwords and all that kind of stuff. It's the only thing that matters to them, brother. It's the only... Now, if you're talking about CBS, NBC, ABC, totally different ballgame. They need viewer numbers. They need those ratings because those ratings directly equate to how much they can charge for sponsorships and advertisers because that's how they make their money. But Netflix and stuff like that, they operate on a totally different paradigm. A totally different paradigm, so it doesn't quite work. But I, but it's a good thing to ask, and I totally understand why you did ask that, Dom. Well done. All right, next up, Ann Perkins from Parks and Rec. Ann Perkins. Uh, did you see the Xbox and Falcon and Winter Soldier promo with Anthony Mackie? It had the same actor who played the Apple Store helper in Winter Soldier now working for Xbox and Falcon. Uh, and Falcon. Uh, also, early reactions for Falcon Winter Soldier say there's a good mix of action and character development. I haven't heard or looked at any of the early reactions. I don't care, whatever. At least I don't yet, sort of. But no, I haven't seen that promo. I, I'll be honest with you. Unless it's a legit full trailer, I don't pay a lot of attention to little promo stuff. Like, for example, somebody wrote in to me yesterday, and we covered it on the companion video and said, you know, John... Why aren't you covering all the Snyder Cut little promo pieces that are coming out? I said, because I don't cover little promo pieces. 
you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier has had like six or seven, you know, smaller TV spots and online promo pieces. We haven't covered any of those. Coming to America before it opened, they put out a bunch of these little TV spots and character spots and whatever. We didn't cover any of those. I generally, unless it's a legit trailer, I generally try not to pay too much attention to it. And that, especially the TV spots. And because I am really looking forward to Falcon Winter Soldier, I really haven't wanted to see the little TV spots. Now, if they come out, if Disney comes out and says, we've got a new full final big push trailer, okay, I'll watch that and we'll talk about it on the show if that happens. But otherwise, I I don't tend to say, but that does sound kind of fun, like uh, building it in with X-Men. That does sound kind of fun. Okay, anyway, uh, next up, uh, Tacky75 writes, First reactions for Falcon and Winter Soldier are in uh, main points. Number one, plenty of spectacular action. Two, Sam and Bucky struggle to adapt in a post-blip world. Number three, a surprise appearance at the beginning of the first episode. Well, there you go. I am, I have not seen the first thing, the, the first bit of Falcon and Winter Soldier. I have not seen it. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I Look, you guys know. From the beginning, of all the Disney Plus shows that are coming, the one that has me most excited, and there's a lot of very good-looking ones, but the one that has me most excited is Falcon and Winter Soldier. I really hope it's able to live up to that hype, man. I really do hope it does. All right, Jesse writes, one of three. I'm not sure why, but one thing I love in a movie is a good title card. Something about it just makes me excited about the movie. When a title card is visually interesting or is well-placed in the edit... Um, I, I love it. For example, the title card of wind river. Ooh, yeah, that was good. Uh, written and directed by Taylor Sheridan, by the way, a wide shot of the night sky. Uh, the only sound heard is the howl of the wind while a young girl runs for her life barefoot through the snow. Then wind river is written across the screen in silence. Do you have anything, uh, small in movies that for some reason just makes you excited? Well, first of all, let's talk about title card. I mean, whenever I think about stuff like that, I don't know why I go back to the Christopher Reeve first Superman movie. That's always pretty spectacular. Anyway, uh, little things that really, that I really appreciate. Well, I mean, this might not be considered a little thing, but something that I really appreciate in movies. Look, I, I understand why. I understand why. But most movies, they have like a ramp up, right? It's like, oh, we meet the character doing something mundane that doesn't have really anything to do with the movie. And we see them going to the library so we can get to know the character a little bit. And then they have an an interaction with a secondary character and blah, blah, blah. And then maybe about 10 minutes into the movie, what the movie is going to be about comes into play. You know, the woman gets her pregnancy test back. The guy gets a notification that he has a son Somewhere in the Ukraine, you know, it's usually about five or 10 minutes into the movie that what the movie is about actually comes into play. I really have a big appreciation when like the movie starts and bang, we're right into it. One of the best examples of that to me was Die Hard with a Vengeance. The one that has Samuel L. Jackson as Zeus, right? That entire movie starts opening music, do, 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 with with shots of the city, right? Just various shots of the city as the opening music plays. And then all of a sudden, it scares the hell out of you. Boom! The um, 
the, the one building blows out, right? I don't know. Just boom and bang. Just like that. We are right into the meat of the movie. We are right into the meat of the movie right away. And I personally really, really like it. Now, they don't have to be action films. They don't have to have an explosion. But I really do like it when a movie, like, it starts and we are immediately into what is this movie about. And we go. And uh, that, I really do appreciate it. All right. uh, Next up, we have Diego uh, uh, Meguino writes, Hey, John and Co., in honor of Falcon Winter Soldier, I rewatched uh, Winter Sol- I rewatched Winter Soldier. Great movie. Oh, it's fa- some people think Winter Soldier is like the best comic book movie of all time. I-, I don't personally. I love it, though. But there are a lot of people out there who think Winter Soldier may be the best comic book movie ever. Anyway, great movie. I forgot to. I forgot how much I enjoyed uh, Bucky's style of fighting. I feel like he has a very unique technique slash style. I also think Wasp and Black Widow do. Yeah, Wasp. I was just watching Ant-Man 2 again the other day. And in that one scene where she goes in to meet with Walton Goggins, remember that? And that whole action sequence that then takes place. I really do like Wasp's fighting style. It's really good. Anyway, uh, Wasp and Black Widow do. What MCU character style stands out to you? Ah, What MCU's character's fighting style stands out to me? Well, Black Panther's does a lot. T'Challa's does. Uh, But so does Caps. But honestly, probably the best one is probably Black Widow. She's she's got an absolutely terrific on-screen fighting style. Absolutely fantastic on-screen fight, fighting style. I really really love it. But yeah, now that you remind me about that, the wasp fighting style was really good too. But listen, going all the way back like uh, to to a lot of these movies, whenever Black Widow, whether it's at the beginning of Winter Soldier when they attack the ship and Captain America fights George St. Pierre's Backtrack the Leaper and her fighting the guys on the ship, beautiful technique and style. Whether it's you go right back to the Avengers when we first see Natasha as she's being, remember she's being held captive and then re, but she's only letting them hold her captive and then she decides, okay, but her fighting style is actually really fun to watch on screen. So I like that one too. All right, Jesse writes, uh, petition to get Carson Drive Media changed to Tender Butt Productions. I knew, I knew that would come back to bite me. Uh, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Carson Drive Media is the actual name of my business. So my company, which produces my movies, which does the John Campia YouTube stuff and some of the other things that I do, Carson Drive Media is the name of my business. <laughs> Changed to Tender Butt Productions. Get the movement going. Tony Rodriguez writes, okay. Now you saw episode three. My Thursday tip you skip was saying uh, the CG on Superman has already gone down in episode three. The bridge scene was badly was bad graphically, and the voice of the boyfriend in the school hall definitely wasn't that actor's voice. But I still but I still do like it for now. Tony, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. The visual effects in that scene with the bridge and everything were almost comical. We're almost comical, but for me, particularly when I'm watching television, like even, you know, I love the, especially the earlier seasons, but I, I love flash, but their visual effects are sometimes not so great. But listen, when I watch a, a TV series, I adjust my expectations for the visual effects. I just do. And I'm able to focus more on what is the story being told. So 
I, I give much more of a pass to questionable visual effects, especially on a network like CW that you know is lower budget, right? You know they are, mu- they are far lower budget than like a CBS show would be or something like that. And because of that, I get it. And so I just try to lose myself in what is the story they're telling here. Now, don't get me wrong. I used to work at a visual effects company. I have a very high appreciation for good visual effects. But again, when I know I'm watching a TV show, particularly a lower budget network like CW, I tend to give it a pass. I do give it a bit of a pass and I just try to take it as what is the story they're telling. But you're not wrong, Tony. You are not wrong, my friend. Okay, next up, uh, Sam Phillips writes, uh, hashtag Team Kong. Kong is going to pull a Super Mario 64 on Godzilla's ass and grab him by the tail, spin around, and send him flying 50,000 feet. Kong is also jacked as hell. Godzilla can't do nothing to Kong with his short baby arms. Well, don't forget, he's got that tail. He's got that nuclear breath. And he's strong. And he's got them teeth, man. He's got them Godzilla teeth. He's got that powerful lizard yeah, lockjaw going on, right? So don't count out Godzilla. Uh, Don't count out Godzilla. But listen, for me, though, at the end of the day, uh, the Godzilla thing is like somebody brought it up earlier. I am definitely, 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 definitely Team Kong in this. There's no doubt about it. I am Team Kong. But, you know, it doesn't take away from how much I really do love the um, how much I love the uh, uh, the Godzilla franchise i wasn't thrilled with godzilla versus kong i i was not like not in the least was i thrilled with that but you know i still love godzilla i'm just looking forward to seeing a uh, a good you know movie come out i'm just looking forward to seeing a good movie come out of it all right guys that'll do it for today's we we're now all cleared up we got all caught up guys there's a reason we've been doing companion videos almost every day for weeks. We are now all caught up on all the questions you guys have sent in. And we did it on a Friday, which is awesome because it means I don't have to make a companion video on my weekend. Woo! It's been a, how long has it been, guys, since we ended a John Campus show actually being all completely caught up on all the questions? Months? Maybe months. It's, it's been a long time since we've done this, but we've done it. It has paid off all the companion videos we have done. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the John Campy Show. Just in time, too. We just hit the 12 o'clock mark. That'll do it for this installment of the John Campy Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us here involved at the John Campy Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. Don't forget guys, the John Campus show returns again on Monday. And don't also don't forget, you can start sending in um your live comments and questions right now. You don't have to wait till the show starts. The earlier you send them in, the earlier they get read on the show. You can go anytime. Just use the tip link in the description of the video or use the the manual thing www.streamelmas.com/movieblogtv/tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate and of course you'll be supporting the show at the same time and again we thank all you guys for that folks have a fantastic weekend ahead of yourselves may you be able to find yourselves relaxing enjoying yourself whatever it is you need to do to charge your batteries 
to go into another week of glorious triumph and victory ahead of us. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.